States of America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they have committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest all right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight we deal with the IRP5, the continuation. We take you and continue the journey that we've been on regarding the most horrible injustice and corruption that we've seen in our time. We're going to go there right now, folks. Call your friends, your family, whoever's around as the journey of the IRP5 continues on AJC Radio.
right now we get ready to take off on this journey. I'm Lamont Banks along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Tanique Wright, and Clinton Stewart, the entire AJC radio team, as we get ready to dig into this journey of injustice. Hang on, we take off right now. There you have it. And uh, David, as we get ready for this one, we pick it up where we left off, where at this point we go back to a huge issue with this journey. Uh, there was a raid that took place. Uh, tell us a little bit about that as we get ready to dig into this as well. Well, we were actively involved uh, uh, marketing our software across the country to various law enforcement agencies, including the Department of Homeland Security, NYPD, Orange County, uh, Orange County Sheriff's Department in Florida, et cetera. Um, uh, very intense interest in the product. Orange County actually flew in to Colorado to be with us to view our facility, view the software, et cetera. Uh, during that time, we engaged, during part of that time, we engaged staffing companies to make modifications on behalf of requests from the Department of Homeland Security and NYPD that we're getting back. In anticipation of uh, us signing that contract, uh, we obligated ourselves and went into debt with a number of, uh, of staffing companies uh, who extended us credit uh, for uh, staffing resources that, that, that were working at the company. Uh, uh, un during that period, we were being approached by a lot of large system integrators, uh, such as uh, names like IBM, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin. And uh, as we approached that, uh, we were told by the Department of Homeland Security to be very careful with some of these companies because they will try to steal your product. Well, unbeknownst to us, uh, in October 28, 2004, we did a major presentation in Washington, D.C. for uh, Department of Homeland Security, four, four members of the FBI were there, Immigration and Customs, Border Patrol, et cetera, U.S. Marshals, Secret Service, all of them were in attendance. <clears throat> After that presentation, uh, the Department of Homeland Security official told us the FBI was very impressed with our software. Well, two to two and a half months later, we were raided by the FBI and called a purported software company, and that's uh, – uh, where we're leading into now, even what happened at the raid, you're going to find was uh, uh, just unbelievable. Well, we're going to be going down that, that road. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to dial in to the show, 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. Call in. We'd like to hear your thoughts on this tonight. And I'll tell you what, this type of injustice has become commonplace in our country. We're dealing tonight with one of those. The RP5 debacle. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. 
Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? 
Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio is tonight. We take a journey with the RP5 injustice, and they're on a fast track to that. And I'll tell you right now, uh, what you're going to hear tonight is going to seem unbelievable, uncomprehendable to anyone that has heard this story. Uh, we are grateful tonight that the RP5 are now free men, but as as a result of being in an eight-year situation behind bars uh, for something they didn't do. Um, these are one of those things that can definitely become troublesome, and they should be. To every person in this country that possibly will have a run-in with the law, this is a tragic, tragic situation. Uh, we're going to dig into that. We're just beginning the journey of the IRP-5, as you heard earlier from David Banks in regards to uh, the raid, I guess we're going to kick it off there, David and Demetrius, Kendrick, Dave Zapolo, Clint Stewart. Uh, we're going to get down to business with this. I'd like to know thoughts, if you will, as you're sitting at your desk that morning. You're coming in doing what you've always done. And there comes a Mack truck going through your building uh, to really start the beginning of destroying your life is what it was. David, give me your thoughts, and I'm going to go down the line and hear from these guys. As, what was your mindset as you began to see this? It was a, it, to me, it was a blind side hit. Oh, yeah, you are were somewhat in a daze. What made it so shocking is that we actually had retained uh, FBI agents and federal agents to work with us in the company. So that's, so even, that's even a very more shocking fact. I'm sitting in my office. And all of a sudden, uh, there was two doors, each on the side of the reception desk. They come rushing through the doors. And we all, 
and you first think, oh, this must be a drill. We we got FBI agents that work for the company, so maybe this is you're trying to find some way to reason or rationalize what's going on. But they were there to uh, steal our software, and it's I can't say it was shocking. I, I was somewhat in a days almost in a stupor somewhat like what is going on you couldn't really grasp what was actually happening at the time and then uh i'll get into later uh when we started talking to the fbi uh it came into my office uh we saw the fingerprints of racism uh and the arrogance and hubris by these officers by these fbi agents was just astounding Demetrius, you were there. Uh, tell us what happened. Uh, it was something out of a dream. David mentioned that maybe this is a drill. Um, it Enron had two FBI agents, and they had 25 agents come for 20 people. 25 agents? 25 agents came brushing through the two doors that David mentioned. For, wow. and, and a majority of us were African-American. And we were ushered in, at, you know, after they were there saying, we're looking for financial records. Okay, so going to my office, the records are there. They never imaged any financial records, what they allegedly said, the search warrant. They never opened, they never opened the cabinet to see the financial records. They actually left a lot of files, right. financial record files uh, in, in the office. Right. And so you, you're going, if you're going for that, and, and Kendra can uh, speak to this, they, they imaged every uh, hard drive for almost over 12 hours, but you're looking for records, financial records. It, it didn't add up. Um, they copied, did they copy the, the files from the hard drive? Yes, they did. But keep in mind, there was financial records related to our dealings with staffing companies. Wow. Well, they would have had those records at the staffing company. They would have had a copy of all those records. So where, why does you need to come to our office to specifically look for that? They weren't there for that. That was just a pretext. Uh, the search warrant, search warrant was a pretext uh, to get the yeah, to get okay. our software. Okay, and Demetrius, were you was was it were you shocked that man? Was it was in total in? again. If you thinking this is, I, oh, I woke up from a dream. We got raided. No, it was it was reality. I mean, you, you twenty five and a uh, a lot of them. Uh, one one officer, uh, FBI agent, put his gun and slammed it on the on on the table to to show this aggression. We're all at, most of us were African American. And they were looking at stuff, going through the safes and stuff. It was almost like they wanted to find something, and there was nothing there. How long were they there? Easily 12 hours. Yeah. Oh, they were there from 9 a.m. at night. We didn't get out to till 10 at night. No, we got to till 11. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. Wait a minute. They came in in the morning hours. 9 a.m. And left at 11 p.m. Yeah. Yes. Uh, looking, and, and you guys were there the entire time. Yeah. They would. You were basically held. You were held in custody. Yeah. Held, held in the uh, in the the break the break room. Yeah. So and that they, many hours. Yeah. Because then after a point, they started letting after they searched everybody before they let them go. They let start letting people go. But then it got started to get suspicious when they kept saying, "Well, you guys can just leave us here if you want to." So I'm like, we're not leaving you here with our equipment and stuff. We don't know what Oh, go is. home. Yeah, go home. Yeah. So after probably like around 9 o'clock, they, all of a sudden their tune changed to where, well, you got to just go home and we'll stay here. And I was like, uh, then they got fish like, no, you've been here long enough. It's already fishy. Now we really know that you're up to something that 
all of a sudden you want to be left alone in here for what? Wow. They could have done anything at that point. Dave Apollo, what were your thoughts when they came in that room? Well, you said that there were um, racism there. There absolutely was racism there. I was the only white person in the building that day that that worked with IRP. And when they came in, they're ushering everybody around, pushing them around, and go this way, go that way. They came up to me and said, excuse me, sir, do you work here? I was like, yes. Oh, can you please go and um, and take a seat in the break room, and we'll be talking to you in a minute? And I walked over there by myself. Now, they escorted every other person to the break room. To the break room. They let me go by myself. So I gave them my name, address, social security, and they said, okay, that's all we need from you. Uh, you can leave. So I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on. So I was like, okay, fine. So I got up, walked out of the break room. Nobody followed me. I went back to my office. There's an FBI agent sitting at my desk. Going in your through chair. My, in my chair, going through my computer. Um, he said, are you leaving? I said, yeah, they told me to leave. So I picked up my laptop computer. That he was looking at. No, he wasn't looking at my laptop. He was looking at my desktop. Got you. I took my laptop computer, put it in my bag, put my coat on. He handed me his business card and said, if you need to talk, give me a call. I walked out the front door. There were two FBI agents searching another black employee's wallet. Two FBI agents. They didn't say anything to me. I walked out the door. Nothing. Any other person that tried to leave, they stopped. They chased after one of them, brought them back, and searched through their bags and portfolios. They didn't do anything with me. And understand, too. They have yet to show us what's on the search warrant. All right. we're seeing is them flashing a piece of paper. And their badges and guns. Just saying, we have a search warrant. They still don't know. We don't know that we're being violated. The minute they search someone's wallet, personal bag, that they had violated the search warrant. We didn't know that because they won't show us to us. Well, Clint, what were you feeling at the time they came through there? Well, it was really shock uh, once we saw what it was that we were up against. I mean, all the agents, uh, some flashing guns, and then the, the arrogance that they had and, 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 and taking everybody to the break room. It was just, And also doing illegal uh, search and seizure of individuals, going in women's purses. Uh, you know, it was, it was really a, a shocking situation. You say, this is illegal. You know this is illegal. Why do you know this is illegal? But they're doing it anyway. And the, if they came for the financial records, what we, which we put before them, then you're like, why are you still here? Right. So it, it was just a pretty, pretty terrible, awesome moment and uh, something that you never went through. So it was uh, very much, uh, you're just in shock. You really so at this moment, your lives changed drastically in a moment. And that's, that's what it is. Right. And as I mentioned before, uh, I was the chief. This, I was the chief operating officer. So before we sent to the break room, they they came into my office and they wanted to talk. So I told them I'm not going to answer any questions. I'll tell them how the business works. Well, the, uh, the FBI responds. Well, let me ask you this question. Well, if a white woman came in here and she was qualified, would you hire her? 
I said, first of all, what does that have to do with the reason you're here? And actually, we do have white women working here, but what does that got? So then you start saying uh, the racism, they might as well rolled in on some horses uh, like they did back in the field during the slave days. That, it, it, was, it was the same type of mentality. They wow. even escorted people to the bathroom. And again, they let me pick up a laptop, put it in my bag, didn't say anything, and walk out the front door. Yes. Wow. Yeah, all the black people had to be escorted to the restaurant. And followed everywhere. And it all followed. Dave's and Polo goes without being touched. They've had free run, run of the place. And we have video of me just walking around by myself. Which means they had a hidden agenda. Absolutely. That's what they had. And that was to take down the RP5 in spite of the fact uh, that the RP5 had developed software that could keep the country safe. How does that happen? And How with, does that happen? And with full knowledge, FBI agents are working at the company. That we were referred to, to the Denver uh, Division of the FBI and, and the SAC, special agent in charge there, by a U.S. senator. And that's how we got the FBI agents to actually come uh, work for our company and who agreed to be paid upon the sale of the software or when we could get them staffed with the staffing company. That's unbelievable, uh, but not shocking given uh, the system being on the corruption level that they are in is uncomprehendable. Just keep in mind, and everybody needs to take a, uh, consider this fact. The position of the government is just eviscerated by the fact that in the middle of this so-called alleged crime they said we committed, we contacted the FBI and brought in agents to work with us during the actual commission, during we're actually allegedly committing this crime. That is absolute nonsense. That's absurd. And when you look at, when we finally saw the search warrant, the search warrant said we were a purported software company. That means we were an alleged software company. That's how they got a judge to sign that search warrant, is that they're not doing any software. Now, we've been doing demos for the FBI, Homeland Security, all of these organizations. They know there's real software, but they went in front of a judge and said that they're a purported software company. And keep them in mind, when you say uh, – they. Weeks before the raid, they had received a letter from one of the FBI and Customs Enforcement. He, he headed up uh, Immigration and Customs in Denver. Uh, he was working for the company. He had sent the, the lead agent a letter saying that we, uh, uh, in his opinion, we were, we, were, we were pursuing federal, state, and local contracts and that uh, we had a viable software product. So to, to, to put on the search warrant, before you completed the search warrant, that we are, were a purported software company is belied by the fact that a federal agent had provided you with information that we had a viable software product. And then they also say in the search warrant, um, it was alleged vaporware, or was that later? No, that, that was, was later down the it was it was what they, what they were alleging that just came out in, in legal pleading. Right. Uncomprehendable. How does that happen? How do citizens that have a product to keep the country safe 
how thin does this turn in the road? And you're rated at your place of business. I know what's going on, what's happening. Can you imagine if that were you listeners? Any of you, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, you would be disillusioned with this system. Because this act that was carried out was unacceptable. Should have never happened. No crime had been committed. And for them to wave guns around, slam them on tables, uh, it's pathetic. It's what it is. None of the people in that building were a point of risk for these officers. You send 25 in. I'm going to send something. I'm going to send a message like I'm macho, and I don't want to do nothing or pay attention to anything. That's not going to get it done. Stephen, your thoughts? Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is when you look at it and you hear, you know, just the, the part of the story thus far, um, it's a real easy equation, you know. Um, there was too much green on the table, bottom line. And uh, the, these five executives, which is what they were in the company, uh, they were too far far right on the, on the color spectrum. Let's just be honest with it. Let's just put it out there. They were being targeted not only by federal agencies, they're being targeted by competition. You're talking about the big, the big names in business when it comes to, uh, to government contracts. I'm pretty sure IBM. I'm pretty sure that all these other big-name companies, Northrop, Lockheed, all these guys that were out there, they don't want to see some a some small company come in and grab a, a big chunk of the defense budget for number one. We're talking about uh, you know hundreds of millions of dollars for parts of this software. And then then let's layer on the you know insult to injury. Not only are they a small business, they are a small black-owned business. We have intelligent you know entrepreneurs and executives here that are out there making stuff that these guys couldn't make in five years, and they've got it ready, and they can adapt it to anybody that needs to be done. They didn't want to see it happen, and so what do they do? They work behind the scenes. They pull all this cloak-and-dagger mess that always happens to the federal government and their budgets, and they find something to cook up on these guys so they can put them behind bars and hopefully try and steal something that they couldn't – they their companies well, the, couldn't create. And Yes, absolutely. The intention here is to lock these guys up exactly. and gives us free reign to capture that software yep. and become rich. That is sick as it gets. Exactly and right. that is a conspiracy. That, that's conspiracy, a plan in place to do what they did. I believe we have a caller. We have yeah, a caller? I'm, call, I'm calling in to see, did IRP-5 ever believe that the law enforcement or FBI agents working in the office with you were not a part of that raid? You just... You really can't tell the the letter sent to the FBI agent. I'm not sure if, if all of them were aware. It's it's kind of strange because the letter that Gary Hillberry, the former Immigration and Customs uh, Executive there in Denver, sent to the FBI actually spoke glowingly about our software. So it's still kind of ambiguous whether or not he knew what was going on if he knew what was going on i'm not sure he would have actually sent that letter that that was actually beneficial to us uh, ultimately does that answer your question yeah thank you all right thank you Uh, unbelievable here 
I, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to digest just sitting in, at your desk and people come in and do what they did to you guys. That's uncomprehendable because from that moment on, injustice rolled all the way to Arguello, Judge Arguello's court, and it never stopped. Um, and I'd like to quote uh, the letter from Gary Hillberry, uh, the federal agent to the FBI. Specifically, he said, uh, quote, IRP Solutions had a viable law enforcement product and appeared to be moving forward to acquire state and federal law enforcement contracts for their product. But the FBI, with that information in hand, still said we were a purported software company. Now, not, yeah. Purported meaning what? That alleged software company? Like it's not real. Yeah. We're like, like we're purporting to be a software company. Something, like really not. Not. Something right. that you're not, yeah. Which doesn't make sense because then if you were believing we were a purported software company, you sure wanted to know where all our servers and exactly. development computers were. Well, you came we're, in. They yes. came in with large, I mean, cases right. of hard disks. They even had to go run to the store and went to Office Max and bought yep. more hard disks so they can image Everything. our computers. Every, every electronic device they had, um, uh, so they imaged every electronic device. Looking, what are you looking for? You, you said you're looking for financial records, but they took, they confiscated PDAs. Yes. You know, I would say the PDA. They took those with them. They they wouldn't give them back because they didn't know how to get in them. They took them. But if you thought we had no software, why come ready to image hard drives and machines? If it's a purported company. Exactly. And you don't go after any financials, which the search warrant stated, you want software. That's the bottom line. And remember, in their search warrant affidavit, they had information concerning our demonstration of the software uh, to FBI agent uh, Melissa McRae, who attended our, our demonstration in Washington, D.C. She worked for the FBI's CIO's office, chief information officer of the FBI. So you knew we had software, but still you put together a warrant that said we were a purported software company. None of that makes sense. Uh, that we, we fooled everybody in law enforcement from the federal level to the state level, presenting them with some uh, yeah, some some just fraudulent presentation of some product that didn't exist. And and let's not forget we had sales. We had actual software sales. Now, they knew this. Yep. We had invoices of software that was sold, shipped to customers. Dr. Michael Brown was using the software at Southeast uh, Missouri State University to teach a master's class in uh, criminal investigations, level one and two. He was using our software platform to do that. And, you know, they knew that we had all this. And still, still decided to yeah. proceed with a bogus case. They lied to the judge to get the search warrant. This is just our. Months, oh, sorry, just it, months earlier, the FBI, when David was there doing a demo for the large group, they were told after the demo, the FBI loved what they saw, and they asked for a quote a week later. But this is before the raid. Before the raid. All of this happened. So it was as if they were gathering intelligence or information to ensure that the product 
was legit in place where they could benefit from. Right. That's, it. that's what it was about. Exactly. Uh, let's set this up to be this stuff to be stolen. Um, that's um, that's uncomprehendable. Janik, you got a comment? I was just going to echo what the individuals from the IRP had said about that they actually had sales. Uh, for a while, I actually was there. And I would call police stations, tell them about the software, ask to send demos. So if you're faking this, why are you actually bringing people in to actually sell a product? The so-called doesn't exist. On top of that, law enforcement is in the building, former law enforcement, former FBI, uh, people who work in the, in the FBI dealing with fraud-type situations, well, they were right. They were actually subject matter experts to the company exactly. to uh, uh, discuss with us and provide us with expertise on the investigative process in the for the FBI and for DHS. That's why they were there, and they actually wrote up sample fraud cases and drug cases and stuff like that that, that we could incorporate and, and test our software against. And David, if I'm not mistaken, it was DHS that recommended we hire. Yeah, federal people, former federal people, to understand how to federalize our product because we already had a complete working product. They were under the guise we need to federalize it and make sure that it was like a, a web-based. Right. So specific language, we want you to put a federal face right. on the, the software. software. And so when they did that, we contacted our senator at the time, U.S. Senator Ben Nighthorse Campbell. He contacted or told us that to contact the head of the FBI in Denver and tell him he said to call. And after my conversation, I called, left a message. The assistant special agent in charge called us back, gave us some names of some guys that were recently retired, and and uh, we uh, called them and we, we retained them. Well, absolutely. Uh, again, it, 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 it is a, a conspiracy uh, that came after these six guys, five guys, known as the RP5. Um, I think we got a caller. Is Ethel on the line? I'm here. Go ahead, uh, Ethel. You have a comment or a question? Actually, I just have a question. I, I was curious to know when the software was demoed to all these different um, organizations, and then after the raid took place. Was there anybody from any of these organizations that tried to reach out to find out about um, the status of the software, or did they did they all report to like one head, and 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 it was squashed from that that head? What was interesting about that, we were still after the raid, uh, uh, still trying to sell the software. Obviously, it became difficult to to say the least. Uh, especially after an indictment came some years later, but uh, we still stayed on. Some companies, some parts of some of the agencies hadn't, because we were we were talking to so many of them. Obviously, all of them hadn't heard about uh, the raid. So, still, uh, at least a positive outlook that we would sell our software. But uh, we came to find out later, every place we seemed to went, the FBI kept showing up to uh, undermine our ability to close business. And, and, and another point on that, just yep. to iterate, I mean, there was never a time since we worked at IRP that the phone didn't ring. I mean, it was constant phone ringing, phone ringing, calls going on. 
And it was weird, the, probably a week or two weeks prior to that raid, right. it was so quiet, it was just eerie, and we couldn't reach anybody. Mm-hmm. So we knew that something had brewed, and after the fact, you understand that they, the, the FBI was basically undermining uh, any hopes for us for getting a sale in the federal space uh, without our knowledge. And then right after, to Kendrick's point, if we're allegedly, they said, a purported software company, was it weeks after we get a call from a business wanting to buy IRP out? So if, if we're – now, the FBI on one hand is saying they're, don't do business with them because they're on investigation. Why would a company want to come and buy us out? You know all this conspiracy starts to fold. Who's behind this? Right. Why would you want to buy a company that's allegedly under investigation? That's uncomprehendable. The bottom line is that these folks, um, these are monsters. These are oppressors. Um, they don't care whether you're innocent or guilty. They don't care about human beings. It's about what get another one under their po- in their pocket. And they can say, we did this or did that, and we shut these people down and did this or whatever. Well, they're on, on business for somebody. They're Without doing question. business for somebody, most likely a large company. Uh, with deep pockets who wanted us out the way. Right. We're going to be talking um, in a few minutes about those big pockets. What causes these people to do what they did? It's greed. It's power. uh, And it's just at the end of the day, uh, it's not these people who are supposed to be officers of the people. They cease to be officers of the people. Um, I'm troubled when I hear that. Over and over again, the eight years that you guys lost, the Christmases, the family gathering, the church, eight years. It's uncomprehendable that you snatched that from, from these men. And we will fight this injustice as far as we can do it. Um. Six four six two hundred zero six two eight. Six four six two hundred zero six two eight. The IRP five continue their story. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call or just calls today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. 
How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in the nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, where we are taking a journey with the RP5 and the adjustment that uh, was on this journey. Eight years of a, in a federal prison, away from their families, loved ones. For what reason? Absolutely nothing. Uh, these men were done wrong to that point. Dennis, did you have a comment? Uh, in regards to the RP5 and what, what what what's developed here? Yeah, I was just asking a question, and I and I got it in in the break. 
uh, just in reference to, uh, you know, the, the folks that was working there, you would think you would, you know, you would think that somehow, some way uh, they would have known, especially the, the FBI rep, that something was about to happen. But again, uh, they were, uh, I was told, and I understand now that, you know, they, they, they were truly uh, excited about working there. They enjoyed it. You know, they were very enthused about the product. But it's just, it, it, to me, this was the worst. I've, I've never, I've never heard anything like this. And, 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 it, and it really, again, I, I said this before, my, uh, how I feel about the justice system today is based on, on how these men were treated. Because these, these were very intelligent men. They came up with software. They were trying to do something for this United States of America. And what do they get? They get jail time. All because of, you know, their color, you know, it's just, it's sickening to well, just, to just even talk about it. It really, you know, it's troubling, uh, as I said here, fighting my emotions. Um, when you get in down into it, when you get into the fight of this thing, it is chilling that you could go in and take the lives of these men. And literally, if you had your way to totally destroy them, what kind of sickness is this? These are men who went to ground zero. Let me just paint you a picture real quick. They went to ground zero. One of the most devastating things that has ever happened in the history of this country. As the towers fell. These men go there. They're moved with emotion. They're saying, look. What can we do? We have skills. Maybe we can make something happen, but not on my watch will we see this again. In most cases, these men should have been saluted as heroes of this nation because the bottom line is it was to protect the homeland, protect your home, your business, your family, your children. And in return, you come and raid these men's business. You treat them like animals. You lie about so-called evidence of corruption, which never existed. You take these men to trial with a crooked, corrupt judge, Christine Arguello. A crooked ADA, Matthew Kirsch, correct? How do you do it? How do you sleep at night? As these men come from... Nice backgrounds, not a lot, not a law infraction anywhere. No, these are not breakers of the law, but you target them for what reason? And in return, the pastor of these men, the mother of David Banks, comes up as the spiritual advisor to that building and is attempted to be treated like an animal. And told that she needs to sit down or do this or do that. And Pastor, Pastor Banks may call and, and give us the exact uh, uh, thing that happened to her there. And we'll, we'll hope she does that. But I'll tell you, David, this is so troubling. I cannot hardly hold back my tears. LaWanna Banks-Clark, we'll get to that. But this type of behavior costs LaWanna Banks-Clark a life. But this is reality. And yep. until people 
all the stuff you see on TV about the justice system, well, 99% of the people, first of all, you can't prove that. Uh, we saw 99% of the people in our situation corrupt uh, throughout the entire process. And that goes from agents to assistant U.S. attorneys to the U.S. attorney to the judges at the both district court and appellate level. This is a corrupt system. It's a mercenary-based system that works on behalf of the rich and powerful. All you people do is make a phone call, uh, pass some money, uh, pass some political capital, do whatever they need to do. It is a secret society. I don't care what anybody's. They'd be like, that's ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous. If they want to come after a particular person, they go into a back room. Uh, they got the judge that they know. They got the prosecutor that they want to do it. They can get it done, and they got big laws that they can find, uh, uh, find, find the individual, create a crime, and take him to court. And then they get a, a uh, what's lack of a term, a starstruck or brainwashed jurors to come in that you're already guilty because the government brought a case. And, it's and, an David, outrageous and not only that, the defense attorneys are in on it. They are. I mean, they, they, they're talking to... The uh, uh, DOJ's office behind your back, you don't know about it. It's happened several times in our case. It's, it's all rigged. I mean, that's what. That's why when you hear about Justice Sherrickin, it's so jarring that there's this, there's this shining light in the system because there may be a few individuals that are really trying to do their job, but the overall system is trash. That's what it is. Stephen. Now, and, the, and just listen to this. I mean, and knowing some of the details of the case, the fact of the matter is, is the system comes down to one and two things. Either you have integrity or you have a price tag. Everybody that has been associated that we've heard talked about from, again, like they said, the, the, the attorneys on both sides, prosecution and defense, Judge Arguello, the, the different you know, FBI agents, everybody that's involved, they all have price tags. These gentlemen stand out, again, as those beacons that are out there, so they're, they're, they're patriotism, everything. They had no price tag. They operated with integrity. They operated for something that was beyond just themselves. They were, like you said, they're doing something for the betterment of the nation. They said, like they said, not on their watch. They have something as atrocious as 9-11 happen again. But the fact of the matter is everybody else that could have facilitated this, everybody else that could have invested in this and made it a reality have price tags, and they had somebody holding something over their head that made them compromise their integrity. They were easily bought. And, I mean, you can see it. These gentlemen did, you know, decades behind bars collectively for something that they should have been applauded for. Oh, absolutely right. And it, it is troubling to me uh, that this system, and again, we said before, we're going to call this the system. The system failed in this case. And let me put one thing. My view of the justice system, this is David Banks, my view of the justice system is, is it is a front organization. I don't care what anybody says. We saw the front. Everybody's out front. They got the good marketing. They got themselves up on billboards talking about justice, all this other type of stuff. It is a front organization. And behind that front, people are doing whatever they want to do. You have a bunch of people who are not accountable. You cannot hold these people accountable. The same, they, it's a self-policing process where your friends – in the bureau, in the DOJ for attorneys, and in the judges, they all police themselves. 
and all the judges were almost it's, it's almost just a rule. All the judges were former federal prosecutors. Very few judges were not former federal prosecutors. Just the way it is. William. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to this and, and reminiscing on, you know, the times at the office and, and seeing the excitement that was going on with the software before all this happened. And, and I'm just listening to this. And, and the one thing that really just stands out to me is that these guys were going, they were contacting some of the largest law enforcement agencies in the country. I mean, they are out here pursuing business with these agents. And how in the world do you do you, you know something's wrong. You know something is wrong with this when you weaponize the FBI and you turn them on these guys. I mean, and you, and you say, these guys are not real. This is all some kind of front organization. You know something's wrong here. You have to understand that if these guys are, are in constant contact with law enforcement agents. I was there, and I watched David contact philadelphia police department i watched do demonstrations for nypd these are some of the largest agencies in our country and you're talking about this company is trying to get over on some of the largest law enforcement agents in the country i mean do you do you understand how stupid that sounds and then for them and you know that's how crooked the system is because we sit here, and no matter how many times you hear this story, we all have lived some part of it. And you realize there's parts of it that make you so angry because the, the lies and the front that they put on didn't allow them to, to present their defense. But just that simple fact, I'm sitting there because I remember, I remember going to a demonstration at, I think, I think if David, correct me if I'm wrong, it was CBI. Um, and we, and uh, we did the demonstration with the visual analytics piece. Right. Now, you're sitting in there in their building with law enforcement agents doing a demonstration of software, and for the FBI to turn around and say, this company's not real. They're, as Demetrius said, they're vaporware. It's crazy. But who who is perpetrating a crime with, with, law, enforcement. with law enforcement involved in the crime? Sense. It makes no sense. At all. And you have to be the dumbest criminal around to invite law enforcement that specialize in fraud and fake organizations to come on board with this company. We're going to play a, a, a clip right now. I want you to hear it. It's called The Race Car Face Up. We'll be back to comment and talk about it right after this. Let's play the clip. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just to the side, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and work together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, 
and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified, and then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper. And I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. A rendition, if you will, of the IRP-5 debacle. These men are gentlemen that have reenacted what has happened to these men. Pastor Rose has a comment. Pastor Rose, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Go I ahead, uh, I want I wanted to talk about the day that the FBI raided uh, the IRP five uh, office, and I went up there. And when I got there, I op- I reached to open the door, and the FBI said to me, "You're not going in there." And I said, "Well, well, why not?" I said, I wanted to talk to my son. You're not going in there. So then I I reached out again to try to open the door, and a, a woman FBI agent, she almost slammed my hand in the door. And he told me, he said, you get away from up here. And I told him, I said, I wasn't leaving. So I just sat down on the floor outside the door, and, and they said, so finally they called the local policeman to come up there. And I told him I wouldn't leave him going anywhere. So I sat on the floor behind the door. Well, after that, uh, they they had uh, they called the locals, and the locals came up. And I said to him, I said I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna sit right here. I said you might as well have a six a, a 1960s altercation up here because I'm going nowhere. And uh, so, uh, and so, 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 so the police officer said to me. He said, ma'am, I'm not up here to bother you. He said, I'm just up here because we were called up here for whatever. And so I sat there and waited for a while. And then after a while, finally left. And the guys were still locked up in the in the office. And they wouldn't let me in there. So uh, later on that evening, I left. But I thought it was so rude and uncaring the way they did it. And more or less just kind of kind of pushing me around and, and making all kind of accusations against me. And I just decided uh, after a while I went on and left, but it was, it was terrible. It was no type of respect or, or honor for the mother that was up there. But these are some of the most cruelest, heartless people I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never been in a situation where I was uh, on any type of charge or anything. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. After I told my children all the time 
Uh, as long as you got your evidence, if something comes up against you, as long as you got your evidence, you never have to worry about anything. That's all you need is evidence. I really found out real quick that that was a lie and that they didn't even let y'all even show your evidence to the jury after getting there. So I was, I was very much disillusioned with the whole system, and I am still to this day after they caused my daughter to lose her life. I don't think anything of this system because it's heartless. It doesn't have any type of feeling of, about anybody, only only the ruthless way in which they do business. So I'm thankful that, that it's over, but I shall never forget what happened that day. And later, when they caused my daughter to lose her life, I will never forget it. So I just want to pass it on to you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Rose. Look, I'll tell you this right now, folks. This is not a Hollywood production. This is not something that's been made up and put into a script. This is reality. The RP5, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, and Clint Stewart actually lived this nightmare, and that's exactly what it is. And uh, we're going to get, again, we're going to continue this journey because it is important that we do so. Um, so th- let me ask the questions to these gentlemen. Um, after the raid, and all that happened after 11 o'clock leaving that building, what was the thought process for you guys at that time? Well, it was equivalent to being violated. Um, and I still feel it to this day. It was a very just shocking. Uh, all I say is you're, you're in a state of shock and almost in a state of shock where you can't even talk. It's like you, you either waking up out of a nightmare. It's almost like the fog of war. You just can't understand anything that's going on. You just sit, sit somewhere and you like, you stare blank, uh, just have a blank stare on your face, looking into the wall. You just can't believe uh, what's transpired. And it was like that. It was hard to even pick up to try to sell our software once you've been violated. And I think, you get an appreciation for victims who have been abused. Uh, I know I felt, I feel much more empathy and sympathy for, I don't care if it's a rape victim or any type of government abuse that somebody suffers, whether it be the hand of government or by the hand of an individual, you really feel and understand uh, what it feels like to be violated and, and to try to overcome that, that sort of abuse. Demetrius, after the raid, when we would come back to the building, it never felt the same. It felt like these monsters, as someone alluded to earlier, had came in and defiled what our business stood for, what it represented, what we believed in. It just didn't feel right to even come. Uh, We came back, but it was never the same after that. And David's word of shock, and I would add, it was like numbing to say, we're sitting here trying to help our country with software that will help bring uh, criminal organizations down, and then we're being called uh, that we did criminal acts. It's totally, totally preposterous. Kendrick, I've never seen anywhere or any search warrant where the warrant allowed the federal government to come in order dinner, have their dinner in your break room, 
while you're locked up in in you you're locked up in a room you can't get out. They go into our meeting room, leave trash, food crumbs, laughing, having a great time on our expense. And that's when I knew this is this is this is not about no justice or anything. After that point, when you can't and it, to, uh, you know go with what Demetrius said, it never felt the same because from the time they got that search warrant, they were breaking the law from the time we got the search warrant all the way till when we went to trial. But they called us the criminals. They, there's no respect for uh, for citizens. There was no respect for our property. There was no respect for us. I, I mean, several times during the search warrant, when I just asked the question, they'd reach for a gun. If I walked three or four feet outside of the break room, they'd reach for a gun. Wait a minute. If you go to the bathroom, they'd reach for a gun. We're talking about unarmed people. people. Black men, yes. But the minute you ask, look like, hey, can I ask you a sensible question? Reach for a gun. Get back in that break room. So, at this point, you hadn't been charged with anything. You hadn't charged with anything. Violation, violation, violated isn't even the word. There's got to be a better word to how how they treated us than violated. Unbelievable. Days of When you look at this, uh, William had a good point. They weaponized the FBI. You had agents that came into that office and violated everything. They went through everything in the office, imaged all the computers, threatened the individuals in the office, you would have thought that this was a drug house. I mean, they rushed in. We have video showing them rushing into the building like they were getting ready to take down a drug lord. And the fact that they would reach for their gun every time you ask for a question, it's ridiculous. And they knew who was in the building, so they knew that the, that the people in the building didn't have um, criminal records, but they acted like this was a mafia raid, a big drug raid, and there were more FBI agents than there were employees. Which didn't make any sense. 25. This was an act of intimidation. That's what it was. So they started out the gate, and 25 people in, we're supposed to get scared. Oh my God, what's going on? That That, that was the intent of the FBI. Let's intimidate these people to the point but they're gonna they don't they don't know they have rights. At least that's what they count on. A person's ignorance to what the system is. And go ahead. They didn't even have enough agents in Colorado Springs for the raid. They had to bring agents down from Denver. And and to Dave's point of some of them were actually talking and said, Man, I just got a call this morning to show up. These are the agents that, uh, not knowing what, what not, it was. Not knowing they just said show up. A couple agents, uh, Maybe a handful said, hey, man, I just got a call. Show up to this address. Clint. Yeah, after the after the raid happened, uh, I agree with David and Demetrius. It just wasn't the same anymore. You you felt violated. You felt like you'd been robbed. Uh, and, and we tried to go on with the business and, you know, develop business because somehow you felt like if we could uh, – you know, bring all this to a head. We could pay our debts um, and so forth. You know, this would all go away. Um, so we continued. This, this, we continued four years working until we were indicted. Uh, you know, on these bogus, bogus charges. But yeah, it was it was uh, it was just a slow, numbing. It, it was just unreal uh, to actually go through that situation. You know what? Nobody, these are things that are hidden from the public. 
These are things that make the people, oh, it's the FBI. They will protect us. These are animals. These are monsters. Because they don't care. Because they, at any situation in the law, in the law uh, process, due process, if you will, this had no teeth of a case. Nothing. No proof of anything as far as being wrong. That's what makes this so egregious. The fact that you knew without a, without question that there was no crime here. But I methodically brought this case with an intent to destroy without a case. That's the egregious part. You know there's no case. You know there's nothing here with these men. But you pursued it anyway. And you, and you know what's, what's funny now is I watch, whether it be news coverage, and they'll say that the FBI is coming in to conduct, uh, DOJ is coming to conduct a probe of a local police department. For what? Uh, there, that's that, that, that's like a goon investigating a goblin. Um, it's they're they're all they're all the same. And I, I hear them talking about. When I watch the news. They talk about the FBI is investigating or this crime has been committed, and the police were on the scene. And I'm just thinking. Uh, the person's probably innocent. I, I'm sure it's not, it's not always the case, but your initial view is just like, yeah, so what? Uh, these people are on there, they're being promoted as, as these superhero type people. That's all a complete joke to me. And even when they talk about it, it's sad to say, I didn't. I never had this feeling before. When they talk about law enforcement, I'm like, yeah, and they're just a bunch of other human beings subject to the same Vices that anybody else has. These people, just because they wear a badge or or, or put on a black robe, uh, there's actually they're the worst people in our society that I, that's ever seen, and that includes the people I spent time with in prison. Well, many times worse. Yes, worse. And you begin to question the system when you see these things. You start to wonder how many other people have been railroaded in this system. Many thousands of people not only suffered what the RP5 did, but are behind bars for life, 400 years, 200 years, and we don't take away from those that need to be in prison, but the innocent that sit behind bars. Nobody does the numbers on that because it's a quick report on the evening news. So and so got released after 30 years, 25 years that was innocent. We have a problem in this country with this system. And if you trust the system, you'll be a victim of the same system in which you trust. That's the way it is. William. You know, I, I mean, again, I'm sitting here and thinking about this. And, and I, I, I think one thing for our listeners to understand, the company, the business, everything. That was one of the nicest offices I've ever worked in. And I think it's clear for everybody to understand it was part of it was the direction of the organization. It was the attitude, it was the spirit, it was going after the business. It was who the, it was who these guys were as a company. So you know, you listen to this when Demetrius said the agent, one agent got called that morning to say come down. You you know that these people, I don't know what they they had their minds, you know what they thought they were going to see. But it was a, it was an extremely beautiful building. I mean, offices, cubes, 
everything. And so I'm sitting here thinking about this. I'm like, you guys came in here with this this incredible intent to ruin this this these people's lives, to ruin any hope. And even after that, after the raid, I know that there was that there was. Uh, I remember we were talking about some of the comments. I guess the FBI had made about. Um, the indictments were coming and things like that. I want you, you guys to kind of clear that up because they were trying to tr- trying to squash business, weren't they, after the raid? Was that correct? That's correct. So, yeah, that was, that was another thing because he was talking about, you know, I, Clint was just mentioning the fact that, and Demetrius has said the same thing, that business after the raid, things were not the same. If this company was not legitimate, why were you guys trying to squash it, squash their business? You know, and that was the point. Sure. Uh, good point, Dave. And one of the things, and William mentioned it, is the way the offices look. The FBI agents were commenting on that. Our offices aren't this nice. Well, so what? You're a government employee. We can do whatever we want with our office. So the issue was, <laughs> unbelievable. What are you talking about? The bottom line is, if your office is, if this person, Racism in this country is alive and well. What are these African-Americans, and I'm being nice with the phrase, doing in this type of an office? And I'll tell you what, if you've seen it, it was magnificent. But what's wrong with that? It was. What's wrong with that? I was going to say, where's the fried chicken? That's how racist these guys were. I'm telling you. And, Mon, at the, think of it at the end of the day, up until this point, to David's point in 2004, the FBI had spent, uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong, up to $600 million on a failed law enforcement software package called uh, Virtual Case. Virtual Case. Correct. So, again, to the point of racism, we're going to have uh, uh, an African-American company in Colorado stand to get anywhere from $600 million plus and we have FBI trans, uh, 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 transcripts in the uh, uh, in our case that said that the DHS would have spent over a billion. So again, going back to racism, we're not going to let five executives, a black, and as you said, being nice, have access to a billion dollars for one for one software well, deployment. I'll tell you what, folks, um, this is a tragedy. Uh, if the RP5 lived to tell about it. Uh, we're going to deal with that issue uh, from now. What happens after the raid? The next steps of injustice begin to march. We'll deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for a murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything. His family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they've suffered. 
And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. A barred police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. I wanted to be in the military since I was a, since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. you got to find 
that link with somebody, it'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Gentlemen, welcome back to Agency Radio tonight. I'll tell you right now, what you've heard tonight does not seem real. It just doesn't. There are things in our society that are realities, but the RP5, this case, and the steps that were taken of injustice here are absolutely horrible because they were premeditated. These were steps knowingly, fully knowing that nothing of any kind of crime occurred. Then what was the motivation? What was the purpose of coming after the IRP5, coming after Luana Banks Clark? What is the motive if there is no crime? That is the question. Dave, uh, and David might will remember this a little bit better than I do, but it's if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was a month or two before the raid. Wasn't the FBI director in front of Congress talking about how he's going to have an off-the-shelf package that's going to be able to replace the virtual case file? Uh, I believe it was right after the raid or something. On it, it was. On or about the time of the raid, he's in front of Congress saying that they, they have a commercial off-the-shelf product that they, they'll be using for the FBI. He's talking to Congress about this. And this is your product? Yeah, well, it has to be because after the meeting in 2004, in front of all of the FBI agents and all this other type of stuff, it seems like, and I, I'll get the exact date and we'll mention it next week, but he was he was under extreme scrutiny for screwing up the uh, virtual case file product. I had read that, and he said this is the software software with no name. That's what he called it, because this was stolen. At least he thought. I can't recall exactly. I I remember when it came up, and I was was looking at the date. He He thought when he sent the raid, the FBI came and raided what they did. He was sure he had what he needed. So, so he came back, he comes back and says, oh, we have some software, not knowing no software was retrieved. But he was before Congress thinking ahead of time, we have something coming. I believe that was the software. Well, keep in mind. Of the, of the thought that the software was going to be there. Well, that is uh, somewhat mildly substantiated by the fact that Melissa McRae, who was a who was a supervisory special agent that attended the presentation in October 2004, she was trying to minimize the software, even though the FBI showed praise to DHS. She said in the, in the search warrant affidavit in her interview that it was suitable for an FBI field office. These were her words. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, oh, maybe a field office can use it, but not the entire FBI. Well, if one office can use it, why can't another office use it? So, with her knowledge that the software would work for, and she works for the FBI uh, IT uh, 
director, the CIO, that knowledge would have had to transfer somehow. This software can be used for the FBI can use this software. And, and another just blaring point is he did mention that there was now available commercial off-the-shelf software. We were the only one at the time doing a large case investigation. Now, he still never came up with commercial off-the-shelf software because we got raided. So if it was another company, they would have went and bought the software. So we were the only ones at the time that were mm-hmm. actually that complete and ready to, uh, you know, to install well, in federal well, service. Well, well, it would make sense because they were courting you. They, they were, if there was something else, why did all the attention focus on the IRP-5? There was nothing. So when, it, it's reasonable to me to believe that when he went before Congress, he was banking on the fact that that raid would, would yield some fruit. It did not. But he thought it would. Made the statement to Congress, we will have this software in a certain period of time. This is, it doesn't take a genius to figure this, this, this out. And that's exactly what they did. Then they came up empty because they couldn't retrieve the software. So then they come after, uh, they come after the IRP-5 to get something to attack them, to get them arrested, whatever it is, because they were empty-handed. They're empty-handed. They have nothing, but they promised Congress the software with no name. Clint. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, uh, we had sole source justification by DHS. So Stephen Cooper had uh, instructed us to uh, go through the sole source justification process, which is a single sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. You fill out that form, and it's within 24 hours, 48 hours at the max that uh, the contracts officer has co-signed that. So, indeed, uh, they had spent two years, you know, we're talking about Department of Homeland Security, so they were doing all the vetting on behalf of the FBI for this uh, consolidated enforcement environment contract that they were that they were looking at letting. So DHS had vetted us to be sole source in the industry for this kind of software, and and um, uh, Director Mueller uh, had made that statement that we have commercial off-the-shelf software. So we were the only ones in the industry with it uh, yeah, exactly by virtue right. of certified sole source justification from the federal government. No, absolutely right. Samson, as you hear this, um, what are your thoughts as far as the acts of premeditation here to really at least make, make an attempt to destroy these guys? Oh, I mean, it's blatant. If you, I mean, if you can sit there and, you know, look, you don't even have to be able to look at things objectively, look at the whole scenario. I mean, if you can just sit there and just follow one point of evidence to another, I mean, you have a guy that's, that, like, like you said, they're pitching this mysterious software, banking on it. And then you go to the presentations, everybody, every police agency or police department, every uh, law enforcement agency that sees this, they want it. They think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and they have this virtual case file that has cost the government so much money and has yielded absolutely nothing. And yet we have a viable product in hand, and, and it's expandable to even provide more functionality. Well, and then you see, oh, they get the they get an earful that well, the FBI really likes your stuff. Well, now FBI is not going to want to spend more government money if if they can get something for free. So yeah, they, they, it's absolutely right. You you got to see you know take a step back and you know be able to see the forest you know rather than just looking at a couple of trees. You can see the whole picture here. 
it was absolutely premeditated in the fact that they, they were going they were determined to go in there and get the software without paying for it. Hence the reason why I mean me from coming from a military background, you do not go into a situation unless everybody knows the mission. The fact of the matter is, is when they have agents showing up day of, I don't know why I'm here. I was just told to show up to this address. They're, they were there for a body count. They were there just as a show of force, saying, hey, look, we're going to get what we want. We're not going to pay you for it. And oh, by the way, here's you know five or six free tickets to prison for a little while while we try and exploit what you've done. And, and get away with all this software without having to pay for it. And the fact of the matter is, is, A, they didn't get what they wanted. B, yeah, they put these men behind, you know, behind bars for a while. But again, they still don't have a viable product. They still don't have something that can do anything close to what these, these, these gentlemen created. I know. I used to work for TSA. I used to work for DHS. They don't have it, period. They don't have anything that comes close to what I've heard these guys describe. And, and again, so the premeditation was there. They had, they had it planned out from day one and they came up empty essentially after all their effort after all the conniving and backdoor deals they came up empty well and this is why the push for prison was what it was uh get these guys out of the way because what they have someone or somebody will be able to use it and we talked a little bit earlier regarding judge actually sarakin uh former judge uh, uh known for the release of hurricane carter uh, became involved in the injustice of this case, uh, and he had made some statements. We're going to play that right now. Stand by for the clip. First, welcome home to all of you. I appreciate all of the thanks and the gifts that I've received, but frankly, I look upon this as a failure on my part and a failure of our justice system. I wish that I could have done more. I, I wish that I could have brought you home sooner. I wrote an article years ago that prison is hell for everyone, but it is so much worse if you are innocent. I have to admit that I've talked about all of you, that I've never seen friends, relatives, and church members so loyal and supportive of each other so unrelenting in the quest for justice. You have the added burden of returning home to one of the worst times in our country's history. A deadly virus, police brutality, protests and riots, and a deeply divided country. But your past resolve convinces me that you will rise above this as well with the support and love that you have surrounding you. Finally, you must all be angry. I know I am, but after I released Reuben Carter, I remember him saying, bitterness only consumes the vessel that contains it. I wish each of you a happy future and hope that we will meet in person one of these days. Good luck and God bless you all. Well, there you have it. The Honorable Exley Sarakin, speaking in regards to the RP5, the aftermath, if you will, of a wrongful conviction, the loss of loved ones, and the pain that came with the journey of the RP5. 
I want to get the thoughts of these men. When you hear when you hear Judge Serakin make the statement, what does that do to you, David? Well, it's just first of all, it's uh, it's it's all it's a uh, partly vindication that a former federal appeals judge would review the case and talk about our innocence. Um, if we had more people in the justice system that were actually they were actually doing their job and actually trying to serve the cause of justice, this would not happen. Except everybody just kind of circles the wagons for the powers that be, and even the media won't talk about it. So when I hear him talk about it, it lets you know there are some decent people in the justice system, but sadly, in my view, it's the it's the exception and not the rule. The rule is that I believe the vast majority of people, based on my own acidic experience, is are corrupt. Because I can't, I just can't uh, divest from what happened to us and how many people we saw engaged in this reprehensible misconduct across the board at all levels of the justice system. So, uh, I, I am eternally grateful to Judge Therakin for reaching out to President Obama, who uh, who still didn't do anything for us. Uh, it was he's a politician and he did everything he could do to support a corrupt prosecutor that that he appointed to be over the Association of of, of uh, Attorney Generals. He just it's like we couldn't find it in in, in the politicians. You couldn't find it uh, any sort of relief from. Uh, the powers of the, the higher level officials at DOJ, they all talk. It's all a big game of talk. When, when, when the rubber meets the road, these people will not defend you. They are there to support each other in whatever they do. Absolutely. Demetrius? It was refreshing to hear uh, Judge Serkin, he, he to believe in our innocence, to believe our our integrity, but what was sad about him, he, his voice was saying he wished he could have done more. And I remember that day we talked to him, and we were just encouraging him to say we appreciate everything he'd done for us and our, on our behalf to the play, to telling our story. Because when you are behind the gate or behind the wall, you know, the only people that can fight for you are your family and friends and people that – uh, believe in you. So to hear that again, it just brings back memories that here's a man that served justice, a true champion for justice, and he felt hurt and let down that this so-called system let us down. So for him to believe in us, uh, in our innocence, we are innocent. I, it was just very refreshing to hear Ashley uh, Sarakin again. Kendrick, I have to say it's bittersweet because you hear, and and we've got to know Judge Sherrickin, very decent, honest, and man, and, and I'm telling you, the cases he must have done before he, he even heard about us, they those people were fortunate to have a good judge. Yeah. What makes it bittersweet is he's retired, and we saw firsthand Judge Christine Arguello. So we've seen both sides of the coin where this system has grown bigger than one person because, you know, there was a time you want to believe that 
a person like Justice Sarah could just say, hey, man, take a look at this. And there are some good people in the organization that say, you know what, let's listen. Those days seem to be gone. Now they listen to backroom deals, corrupt judges. Uh, let's make deals with the prosecutors. And that's what makes it sad because you, you're seeing the dawn almost set on American justice. And once it's gone, you, you can't get, it's hard to turn that chip around and get it back. Absolutely. Dave Zavala. When you see Judge Sarakin looking at this case and seeing there was no crime committed, you have to realize he looked at the court records, the transcript of the trial, and made that decision. Yes. So Judge Christina Arguello, if she wasn't so corrupt, could have made the same decision, and she yes. didn't. So you see that this man looked at this, and he, t- he said, I don't even see a crime here. I would have thrown this out of my court. When you see something like that, here's an honest man that looks and tries to do the right thing and does it over and over again. And you see how upset he is that he was not able to get us acquit- get us uh, get the case overturned. And that is something that... We encouraged him and told him, you know, don't feel bad. You did more than most of the people that were out there that looked at the case and said, this is a horrible injustice. We have to do something about it. And they did absolutely nothing. Clint, good point, Dave. Yeah, uh, I agree with Dave. I agree with everybody. Uh, Judge Sarakin is to be commended, uh, lauded for his uh, just integrity. I mean, when we approached everybody. Everybody we went to uh, that we're in official capacity, take a look at this. Isn't this wrong? Shouldn't shouldn't we, you know, have uh, fairness? Shouldn't we have uh, our transcripts? Shouldn't shouldn't we uh, have consideration they're breaking the law against us? Judge Sarek and I, I, I'd be eternally grateful. You know, just uh, nobody else would would uh, uh, speak on our behalf. Uh, the FBI agents or anyone else uh, would not sit up, stand up say the right thing, uh, point the way to, to justice and fairness. So, yeah, uh, when he when his name comes up, nothing but a positive, uh, positive uh, memory of that man. Absolutely, folks. Look, uh, this journey is a long one on this case. We're going to get into the discussion. How did this impact the family of the RFP 5? How many tears were shed? How many holidays were missed? Um, I don't think people began to understand. Uh, We can talk about it, but the collateral damage of injustice is clear. Um, I think tonight of our sister, Luana Banks-Clark, who came on this show and talked about the injustice. But Judge Aguayo and all the partners here who sought out to destroy the RP 5 are complicit in the death of Luana Banks-Clark. That is the truth of the matter. As, as Luana was an advocate for justice just as we are lost her life from the pressure that she endured as a result of this injustice 
they're not going to want to deal with that. They don't want to face that in the mirror every morning when they're getting ready for work, but you're going to face it here. You are complicit in the death of LaWanna Banks Clark. We're going to take a quick break and come back with our final segment, final thoughts on this show tonight as this journey of the RP5 continues. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. Let me tell you who to blame. Blame the boy lying at your feet, his body oozing life through the hole in his stomach where the bullet tore him apart. Blame him for challenging you, for not looking away and for not backing down when you pulled out the gun. Blame your mother for bringing you into this world when she was but a kid herself and for dragging you up, not bringing you up. Blame society for not giving you hope. Blame your father for not being there the man who looked after himself instead of looking after you. Blame the gun in your hand for making you a target, for making you more likely to be picked on. Blame the dead boy, blame your mother, blame society, blame your father, blame the gun, blame anyone but yourself for not being strong enough to put down the gun, to break the cycle. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Over a million people sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help.
as we continue this journey. As I sit here tonight, my heart is sincerely troubled. For one reason, as I heard Pastor Rose say, she has witnessed the most cruel of cruelty in this system. That should be troubling to anyone. To be cruel and cruelty is a horrible way to feel that you've been treated. As I look around this table tonight at the RFP5, I am troubled about a system that would do others the same way. How do we fix the problem? How do we get judges like Christina Aguayo off the bench? How do we stop corruption with prosecutors? You have to have taken a journey behind the wall to understand. I remember having conversations with my brother, the loss of freedom, the loss of life, to be honest with you. And I do remember the tears that what me and my brother shared in moments of the, of the wrongful conviction of the RP5. But this comes close to home to all of my brothers here. I am sad. If I could say that I'm sorry for what you have suffered, if it would help, I say I'm sorry. Injustice is one of the most horrible things that can happen to a person, to a family, to individuals. And I'm saddened by what we have seen. It is our job at AJC Radio and the Just Cause organization to shed the light on injustice, which we will do and continue to do. But to those across the country that are behind the wall that have not yet been freed, you are our fight. Dave, to follow your thoughts. The injustice that occurred in this situation is something that I could have never imagined happening in this country. It's something that has troubled me from the beginning, and it will live with all of us through the rest of our lives. But to see how corrupt our system is just changed the whole way I see the world. And that that's actually a sad thing. It really is. Kendrick? Well, the sad part is it's just the beginning of the story. I mean, uh, We haven't gotten into we, it, have no, we? No, we're just getting into the very beginning. It gets worse. And and that's and that's the problem is you you're living this waking death. You can't even call it a nightmare. You are dead. These people are slow killing you and humiliating you and stripping you of everything that you've worked so hard to to to, to gain. And all the thing you had was your integrity. And that's what we learned, really. If we weren't such 
uh, an organization in our church was supporting us, and we were taught well by our pastor how to maintain our integrity, this could have broken us. But, again, this is just the beginning. Just the beginning. Demetrius? Uh, yeah. Uh, to Kendrick's point, this is – it gets worse, unfortunately. And that's the sad part. Just as we – after we convene on the show, we talk about the memories. It's like, wow, that 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 happened. It, it's just to, to relive it, Mont, it's – man, I'm, I'm telling you, just hearing – my brothers talk and we we walked it together it's it's a sad story but it's a story that needs to be told of what this system can try to do and i'm thankful to kendrick's point people that believed in us uh as you mentioned uh, h lee Sarakin, our a church backing us and, and our pastor encouraging us uh I, I can't thank them enough for it because that's what really you know prayers for us uh, brought us through but yeah, uh, it, it's amazing when you start talking about this stuff and reliving those memories and thoughts of the things that have happened uh, with this situation. It's just uh, just really throws you back to a lot of memories, and I'm so thankful that we do have the support system that everybody's talking about. I'm very thankful that we've been able to come through it, and uh, you know, we 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 we're, our heads are still looking up. Oh, absolutely right. And it is one of those things that uh, we're going to continue to tell this story. It is important to give those that may be going through a similar situation, which I have no doubt they are, um, whether you're at state court, federal court, the system has lost her way uh, until we find our way back. And it's highly doubtful, in my opinion, that we do because the corruption grows more and more um, each and every day and without effort injustice rolls down the streets of this nation Um, it runs down in the courtrooms across the country in courtrooms in rural areas you find injustice everywhere how do we fix it How do we move from here is the question. And to the families of these men and all of the RP5, to Pastor Rose, Banks, who has been a pillar of strength for such an injustice. But the wounds that are left by injustice are clear. Those wounds are there probably until you die. Sad to say, but that is the reality. Again, for all the callers that called in tonight, we give a very special thank you for that. To the men that sit at this table, as the voice of advocacy, we say thank you. Because you have something to say. And you have a story to tell, which we are telling it as we know it. It will say, well, how do you know the system is this? We lived it. How do you know it was that bad? We lived it. How do you know that this is collateral damage? Because we lived it. Because we lived it. It is my hope, ladies and gentlemen, that you will tune into the show next week. We continue this trip, this journey. 
going to get tough along the way as we dig even deeper. We're just at the front door. Next week, we open the door and start walking down this road from here. That deals with the trial, the conduct of the IRP-5 during that trial. What was said? What was not allowed? What was allowed? We deal with that next week on this show. Please tell your friends and neighbors to tune in. So all of us here at AJC Radio and the entire AJC Radio team, we say good night. Until next time, this is AJC Radio signing off. Good night, America. Thank you.